Australia has a key responsibility to really lead the world in climate change. We have to drastically and swiftly reduce our greenhouse gas pollution levels. Are we going to be the ones that could have saved the reef but didn't? You're listening to the Climate Council Podcast. Welcome to the Climate Council Podcast. I'm Alexia Boland. As climate change-driven extreme weather events such as severe heat waves worsen, adverse impacts on human health are also at risk of increasing. The Climate Council has found that without substantial action to tackle climate change, heat waves could cause hundreds of additional deaths each year in Australia by 2050. Climate counsellor and public health expert Professor Hilary Bambrick has forged an impressive career investigating the impacts changes in our environment have on human health, along with researching human ecology. Working in Australia, the Pacific, Asia and Africa, her research has focused on the health challenges facing communities and how to strengthen climate resilience. Professor Bambrick is head of the School of Public Health and Social Work at Queensland University of Technology, and this is her story. I was studying an art science degree at ANU and I was very much focused on bioanthropology and um, my particular interest was um, the impacts that the environment had on bodies, on, on, you know, how children develop, you know, and so on, depending on what nutrition was available and and things like that. And then um, then I got interested in in human ecology and it was almost like things were reversed for me at that point. So I um, read a book called Planetary Overload, written by Tony McMichael, um, and this was an incredibly eye-opening book, uh, the way that it presented sort of systems thinking, global problems, and, you know, rather than looking at environmental health as small, isolated incidents. So it completely shifted my thinking about the world and the impact that we have on it, um, and then in turn the impact that it has on us. So rather than, rather than just being interested in the, um, the impact the environment has on our bodies, I became sort of much more interested in the impact that we have on our environment. And so what steps did you take from there? Uh, Well, I first worked on human health and climate change for my honours thesis in 1998, so 20 years ago, um, when I looked at how climate change could potentially change transmission patterns of Ross River virus in Australia uh, with increased temperature and altered rainfall affecting the life cycles of mosquito vectors and the marsupial hosts. Um, And a few years after that, um, after I finished my PhD, I, I moved back to working on climate change I'm very privileged um, as a postdoc under Tony McMichael, who'd actually returned to Australia at that point um, and was working at the ANU. So I guess Tony, um, Tony's work not only changed my thinking, but he changed the whole field of environmental epidemiology. Um, so for decades, we sort of had environmental health um, was just really measuring local problems. So thinking about water and air pollution from factories, for example, Mm. um, or soil toxicology. And what Tony did was to knit these isolated events, um, incidents together and show us a pattern of degradation that was actually systemic and global um, and disrupting major um, biophysical cycles such as carbon and nitrogen. So leading to loss of biodiversity and of course, global climate change. And I mean, why this is important is it's fundamentally a threat to our life support system. And so can you expand on that in um, kind of in layman's terms, like what does that mean for us and what does that mean in, in you know, 2018? Sure. Well, a lot of people think of um, environmentalism still as, you know, sort of tree hugging and just being very interested in, you know, 
protecting and maintaining the beauty of, of our surrounds. But what, what a lot of people don't um, think about is that whether or not you personally care about protecting the environment doesn't change the fact that we actually need it to be healthy for us to live and to live well. Um, so it's very much about um, sort of taking that focus and, and sort of thinking, well, for, for human beings to be healthy and happy and well, uh, we need to um, be reliant on an environment that is also functioning well and is healthy. You've done a lot of work also um, on heat waves and looking at, um, you know, you've written opinion pieces and things of that nature. Like, how does things like just a rise in temperature actually affect our, our well-being as humans and, you know, forget about the, the food and the crops that we need to survive, but it actually, you know, can be quite, um, quite detrimental, especially for those who are quite vulnerable. Yeah, sure. So it's certainly extreme heat is something that does have a significant impact, even in a very sort of wealthy and healthy country such as Australia. Um, you know, we do have limits to which our bodies can, can physically function. Um, and there are certain groups of people that are particularly vulnerable um, during during um, extreme heat. So, for example, if you can't afford air conditioning and you live in a poor thermally performing house, you're at risk during a heat wave. If you're socially isolated or you're less mobile, you're also at risk. Um, if you live in a suburb where you perceive crime to be a problem and you don't leave your windows open at night so your house cools down, you're at risk. If you're, if you're elderly or chronically ill um, or if you have an outdoor job, you're at risk. And if you're homeless, you have a risk. So it actually affects um, sort of large numbers of people within... Um, within a population and those um you know the people that are affected are particularly vulnerable because of you know underlying conditions of, of health or age or mobility for example um so in australia um you know we can see during a heat wave in a city you might um have a couple of hundred extra deaths that you wouldn't actually um, generally see at that time and that does come down to the heat so these are considered to be excess deaths deaths that would not have occurred if that heat wave was not underway at that time and in your opinion, given Australia's rising uh, greenhouse gas pollution is continuing and it's happened for three years back to back and that's obviously affecting climate change, which in turn results in extreme weather events like heat waves and floods and you know, then you've got the Ross River virus from mosquitoes and things, and things hanging around in those floodwaters. Um, what's your kind of thoughts on what, what's, what's set to happen unless we do something to tackle climate change in, in the form of you know, strong, credible climate and energy policy? Sure. Well, look, after after 20 years of working in climate change, I've seen a, a major shift in how we approach it. We used to talk about what could potentially happen, what was likely and what we'd expect to see. Um, but, you know, we've only experienced one degree of warming so far and we can now see what is happening and what's happened already. So it's no longer speculative um, and based on models of future climate, but these events are entirely observable and measurable here and now. Um, the other thing to remember is that even if we manage to stop all of our greenhouse gas emissions today, we've already got another half a degree at least um, in the pipeline. You know, the climate system is very slow to respond. Um, so we're looking at one and a half degrees of warming at a, very, at a minimum and that we're getting very close, obviously, to that two degree threshold that, um, you know, scientists have decided is, is the absolute maximum um, before things become quite disastrous. Um, so obviously what we need to do and the best thing that we need to do is to... Um, drastically reduce our greenhouse gas emissions and do this as a matter of priority. Um, and one of the best ways to do that is to phase out um, coal-fired electricity in Australia and to focus on renewable, um, clean renewable energy sources. And this not only has a, um, a beneficial um, effect on people's health in the future through its um, 
you know, creating less of a problem for climate change, but mm. it also creates cleaner air today. So a lot of people don't realise that, but air pollution is actually quite a significant killer in Australia and a um, significant contributor to air pollution in Australia is the burning of coal for electricity. So if we could actually... Um, remove that from the from the equation. We'd all, we'd have better health today as with it, as well as better health in the future. And obviously, you've got a wealth of information in this field. You've been in, in researching this for more than twenty years. Can you tell us about how you actually came to be a climate counsellor, and um, you know what, what what your thoughts were on why that was important for you for a next step in your career? Sure. Well, look, the work that the council does is so important. Um, by very clearly presenting the facts about climate change, it shows what we should be doing um, to get ourselves on the right track. And by giving examples of success stories, it shows us that these things can actually be done. So it's not, you know, again, it's not something that's speculative. It's something that, that is um, shown to be um, actually possible um, and working in the directions that, that really do make a difference. Um, so my, my work with the Climate Council is on the health impacts of climate change, so to better understand the impacts of climate change on our health and wellbeing. Um, and these can be fairly direct impacts, such as heat waves, which we talked about, and storms, or the less direct impacts, such as mosquito-borne disease and food security. Um, and it does, it, it's just, it's a very important, um, personally, I find it very important um, to be able to be part of this um, this organisation that does actually make such a, a difference to um, the information that's out there in terms of climate change in Australia. And it does this in a very non-political way. Um, and it, it does actually depoliticise the climate change debate, you know, it just by just presenting the facts out there and by um, putting things in a very positive light about what we can do and what we what we should actually be doing. And what would you like to see happen in the next uh, chapter for the Climate Council and our mission in terms of, you know, uh, fighting the good fight to try and tackle climate change? Sure. Well, the Climate Council's um, focus on clean renewable energy is absolutely appropriate for supporting a healthier population. So I'm very much in support of that being a sort of a continued direction um, for the council, um, so that that's something that you know not will support not only avoiding the worst consequences of climate change, but actually provides for a healthier population here and now. Um, so for, for me, I think that's probably the most significant contribution that the climate council can make um, by um, providing sort of information um, for people to to realise how accessible clean renewable energy can be and should be, um, and by um, you know, providing support for, uh, for example, for local councils who are wishing to sort of move in that direction as well. So make, making it seem um, much more real um, and doable, um, I think, is the, the very um, sort of important role that the Climate Council has in terms of, um, you know, promoting renewable energy for Australia. And finally, Professor Bambrick, what, ex uh, what advice would you give to somebody who might be in a similar field to uh, where you commenced all those years ago, what advice would you give to them if they were considering uh, moving into this field as well? Oh, <laughs> um, I'd suggest I'd suggest hang in there. I mean, you know, in those um, in those twenty years, we've had sort of moments of optimism and and moments of absolute despair with just you know changing uh, political environments both here and overseas. And I guess what you know, I wouldn't still be here if I wasn't um, you know at, at the core. At, bit of an optimist because you, you you know when you're doing this work day in and day out um if you weren't an optimist you'd i think you just have to give up um so look definitely hang in there and um you know uh find help find the solutions that we very much need at this point 
You're up to date from the Climate Council podcast team and you can access all the latest Climate Council reports, fact sheets and podcasts at climatecouncil.org.au. You can also follow us at Climate Council on Twitter and forward slash Climate Council on Facebook. Don't forget the Climate Council is independent and community funded. We rely on donations to fund our critical research, campaigns and projects. So please help to support our work and donate via our website today.